everybody. It is the GOAT podcast. We are doing, we're starting our college football season and we're going to begin with some conference previews. Today we have the Big Ten Conference and I have a special guest. Tyler, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Now I know that you've been on the NFL with Michael a little bit. Um, That is correct. So, tell us a little bit about your background. Uh, So, I am a preaching in training at the Memphis School of Preaching. Very familiar area, area, I'm sure, with a lot of the listeners and just everybody involved. And that's been a big blessing. As far as my uh, sports background, um, for the last decade, I've been um, coaching football and at the high school, middle school levels and coaching uh, middle school and high school baseball as well. So it's something that I um, attached to on as a young child and have just loved sports ever since and loved the community that it brings and um, the kids that are part of it and the families. And it's just a, it's just a wonderful thing for me. So definitely right up my alley and uh, excited to be here today. Awesome. Well, I know that we're really glad to have you. All right, so we are doing a Big Ten preview. Now, what I wanted to start out with is just kind of going through and uh, just do just a preview of uh, the conference. I had a list of everybody and their projected finish. And just wanted to get an idea if you think they're too high, too low, and just to see what you think about it. So for the Big Ten uh, West, let's go and start with the West. The bottom team, it says, is going to be Northwestern. Yeah, I would agree with that. Um, They've got some internal issues of their own, but um, I would agree with that uh, sentiment. And then it has Purdue going Purdue finishing sixth in the Big Ten West. I also um, agree with that. Those would be the bottom two teams um, in the West for me. Just simply, I think I think Purdue has a chance to potentially uh, shock some people. Um, but with the first time, you know, head coach and and uh, uh, with the improvements in the other programs. Out west, um, I just don't think that it's going to be produced here to um, do anything that's worth of note as far as the conference is concerned. I I know I'm interested to see how Purdue can do without Aiden O'Connell. Oh yeah, for sure. Um, he you know very talented player um, and uh, one of the better better. Better Purdue quarterbacks in recent memory, and uh, I think a lot of that has to do with Jeff Brom mm-hmm. as well. And so I'll be excited to kind of see how that works out. Now I know I've seen several different um, articles that kind of argue about where Nebraska is going to finish in the Big Ten West, but this that I'm looking at right now has them finishing fifth. 
I, I definitely think that's way too low. I think that with the change in Matt Rule at the helm and with uh, quarterback Jeff Sims, I think that they are an absolute contender mm-hmm. in the West. What, they, what they've been able to do with the transfer portal and the class that they were able to bring in, I think that that ranking will definitely shoot up, at least in my opinion. Didn't they get um, Eric Gilbert, who was the transfer yes. from – LSU, Georgia, somewhere in the SEC. Yes. Yes. Crazy. And then Illinois has Illinois fourth. I think that's I think that is a proper spot. I think that they will be a better team depending on what the quarterback mm-hmm. looks like. I think that they've got a solid defense. I think that they've got they're gonna have a solid running game again. I know they lost their starting tailback from last year, but I expect with the guys that they have on the roster that they will kind of continue that upward twi- uh, trend that they started last year. Yeah, they they lost, what, Chase Brown and Devin Witherspoon. So yes. that's, those are big, definitely big losses for yeah, sure. Yeah, those are, those are pretty big. Now this one, this number three, this article has number three in the West is very fascinating to me. Minnesota. I think, and this is just a personal, <laughs> um, personal opinion. I think you are either a firm believer in coach Fleck or you are not. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's either or, and Minnesota is, you know, they've always kind of, you know, been in there since he's been in there but they've never really made a threat to reach Indianapolis. Right. So um, I think Illinois, both Illinois and um, Nebraska will finish higher than them this year. Mm-hmm. Um, I've got them at five and seven on my t- record board. And so um, I think that it's a, a downward from Minnesota this year. Mm-hmm. Uh- I know we'll get into this a little bit later on in the podcast, but there have been there's been some off season drama lately with Minnesota, and I'm interested to see how that affects them going forward. I would agree. And honestly, this seems way high. This is Iowa at number two. To I'm me, I'm buying the high. I am all the way in you on are? Iowa. I think that they, in my opinion, I think that Wisconsin and Nebraska are better are better fit for that top two. But that's honestly just an opinion mm-hmm. um, because of my bias towards Luke Fickle, and we'll get into that and <laughs> Matt Rule. Um, but what they are able to do consistently on defense year in year out is mm. quite remarkable and. I think they upgrade at quarterback with Cade McNamara coming in there. They always have a solid offensive line. They're going to have two really good tight ends this year. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I think that those two guys with the um, upgraded quarterback and with the defense, I I think that they are just as a contender as they normally are out West. So I I think that that ranking – is good for them. I personally have them 
in my third slot. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think I'm I'm definitely all the way up on Iowa for sure. And then Wisconsin number one in the in the West, and I gotta I I have to agree with that. I think with what Luke Fickle is going to bring um, yeah. to that program, Big Ten guy forever, North or Midwest guy forever. He brings in Phil Longo to run his offense. You bring in Tanner uh, Mordecai from SMU. Mm-hmm. Um, there for a bunch of yards out there, and I know that we'll also get into this a little bit later. Um, but you've got three schools that have all have a duo of running backs that are really good. But in my opinion, I think that Braylon Allen is the best running back in the Big Ten, and he's out there at Wisconsin. So I I expect Wisconsin to um, be the team that comes out of the West this year. Yeah, I uh, I really I agree with that. Their defense should be spectacular. Tanner Mordecai, I expect him to be a massive upgrade over Graham Mertz. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. And I think I think with the change in style out there as well, I think it'll be something different that uh, Wisconsin's fans are not normally used to. Mm-hmm. I definitely think that they would still run the ball quite a bit. Um, but what they're going to be able to do in the throw game, I think, will surprise a lot of people. Mm-hmm. And so I like I like where they're at. So, so what was so what is so what does your West Big Ten West look like? I have um, Wisconsin or Wisconsin uh, coming out of it. Mm-hmm. Um, I've got them at let's see. In in two, mm-hmm. um, and so I think that they win the conference just right behind them. Um, I have Nebraska. I just, I think that they level up truly, um, and then I've got Iowa in that three spot out there, and then I would put Illinois behind them, and then I think Minnesota falls in right behind them and then uh, Purdue and Northwestern. Mm-hmm. And so that's how I would rank the West as we stand today. Now, you know, obviously things are, you know, could change as we go into training camp and camps start to open. And so, but as it stands right now, that's how I would have it. Yeah, I I think that's pretty fair. I think that's fair. Now, the Big Ten East, it could very well be the best division in college football. I would contend the I would contend the argument that it is, but yes, they're definitely in the conversation um, for sure, absolutely. So this article has Indiana at the bottom, which yeah, yeah, I you. You you wash you lose your best player on defense in the McCollum. He's gonna I think he's gonna be a superstar at Oklahoma. Um, and I just I think I think Coach Allen, you know, is trying to do good things out there. And I think that, you know, the culture is good, but I just don't think athletically that they are anywhere where they want to be. And so as far as the East goes, with it being the toughest division. Um, 
in college football this year. Um, they re- I don't really see them being uh, anything other than just uh, an easy win for a lot of these top teams. Yeah, I mean, they're trying. I just feel really bad for them because they're going to have to face, you know, all of these way better teams. All right. Yeah, and they uh, – it starts early, early with Ohio State week one, so they don't Oof. they don't catch a break. <laughs> no, they don't. So Rutgers at number six. What do you think about that? I, I agree with that. I actually am a big Greg Schiano fan. I know that there's a lot of people out there that um, don't like him, mm-hmm. um, but I'm a big Greg Schiano fan as a coach, and I think that although they're not the most talented team. Um, anytime you play Rutgers, they go, you know, they go all the way to the walls. And, mm-hmm. and so I don't think that, you know, they're in a position to where they're going to really challenge for the division. Right. Um, but they, they are definitely a step above Indiana in my opinion. It, and it seems like every time Rutgers plays Ohio State, they play them close. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And I think – a lot of that is the familiarity between Greg Schiano with him having been at Ohio State, um, you know, for the period that he was. Um, and so, but absolutely. And when, when you're playing those top teams, like Rutgers got enough talent to where, you know, a, th- a few plays go their way here and there. And uh, they have found ways to at least stick in the ball games at least for a little bit, mm-hmm. um, I guess, with the guys. And so, so this next team, according to this article, at number five is a very interesting one to talk about. Michigan State. I think it is a make it or break it year for Mel Tucker. Mm-hmm. If you are getting paid a eighty million dollars a year, um, you're going to have to produce some wins. Now, albeit, you know he's. At the highest that he could finish in this division would be third or would be fourth. Mm-hmm. I've got him placed right there at fifth, and so you know I I think it's tough sledding for Mel Tucker. Um, you know he had the one good year where he turned over the roster, right? And he had Kenneth Walker, and all that is great, um, but we've seen that that's not a conducive way to build a program. Mm-hmm. And so I, I honestly really like Mel Tucker and I, I'm all for Sparty, you know, being up there, but I just don't think that they have the personnel to be that successful this year. So if Michigan state can't get it turned around this year, is Mel Tucker out at Michigan state? I mean, I would, I mean, you'd have to say so, like, if he can't find a way to win six or seven games, I mean, I personally have him at six and six, mm-hmm. but if you're, if you're making $80 million a year <laughs> and Michigan and Michigan state hired you to, you know, kind of take them to the next level, right? if, if they don't see that, then I mean, but if if we're being honest about the Michigan State job, even within the conference, it's not even, you know, in my opinion, it wouldn't even be a top five job. Mm -hmm. And so if you do let Mel Tucker go, 
you know, you're going to have to go with somebody who is probably unproven and, you know, might not even be a Midwest guy. Like, and so, you know, it, it really just depends on is Mel Tucker worth what you're paying them. And if you, if you like being on the, on the fringe of bowl games, um, then, you know, that could be it. But I think Michigan State is more than that. So mm-hmm. I, I would say that if he doesn't succeed this year, if he's not that fourth team, um, I would say that would be pretty tough to overcome. Mm-hmm. And it, I have to feel like the resurgence of Michigan is making people at Michigan State a little uncomfortable. Oh, yeah, for sure. Absolutely. Like, if Michigan can do it, why can't we do it? Right, exactly. I mean, and, and you know, albeit, you know, they had them on the ropes, I think it was, if not last year, two years ago. Mm-hmm. And they, I mean, they they were right there with them, and they, you know, arguably should have, you know, beat them. And so, yeah. Um, um, definitely some saltiness coming out of these kind of things. In fact, the the rise of the Wolverines back up for sure. I'm sure. So number four, this has number four, Maryland. I think Maryland has the best quarterback in the Big Ten. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Talia is that guy. I think I love Mike Boxley. I think that they will be better on offense this year. I think getting rid of um, Coach Gad- Josh Gaddis was a huge thing mm-hmm. for them. And so I think that I agree with I'm, – I'm not buying the fact that they could potentially win the conference like Mike Oxley believes they can. <laughs> yeah, no. But I, but I definitely think that they could be that fourth team. I think, you know, there's a lot of great athletes that they have on their team out there from the DMV. And so I think that – I mean – and they, they gave the Buckeyes a run for their money the you know second last week of the uh, regular season last year. And so I think that with their quarterback play, with how they, you know, want to do things on offense, I think Maryland, you know, could potentially, you know, be a team that, you know, maybe they shock a Michigan or maybe they shock an Ohio State or a Penn State. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, would I play – place betting money on that absolutely not but um i think that you know they if there's a team that can do it mm-hmm. when we're talking about these you know outside of your big three um that's probably the team that's got the best chance to do it yeah i i would have maryland higher if they had been able to retain some of their offensive line from last year but I think mm-hmm. they lost what was it their entire offensive line? I think they they lost at least four of them. I think one of them might have come back, but I think that they definitely at least lost four of them. I I just it's a, it so anytime hard. that you have to make that big of a change on the offensive line, you just you don't know what you're going to mm-hmm. get. Yeah, it's hard for me to it's hard for me to see. I I want I want them to be higher, but when they're replacing that much, I just I just don't see it. For sure, for sure. So these top three, pretty obvious. 
Uh, Penn State at three. So I think where this conversation needs to go um, is I I personally believe, um, and with all bias aside, and we'll get into that here uh, in a minute, um, but I think where the conversation needs to go with these three teams is stating the best case to win the East because mm-hmm. essentially, essentially it'll be one of these next three teams that we're talking about. Right. And to begin, and to begin with Penn state, it's kind of like, you know, they got the pieces. Like they probably have the best, the best left tackle in the conference. Mm-hmm. Probably the, in my opinion, probably the second best overall offense line. They've got arguably, you know, depending on how you rank them, the between one, two, and three of the best running backs. Mm-hmm. Arguably, I think I think the the duo at Michigan with uh, Blake Corum and Donovan Edwards, and then the duo with Travion Henderson and Mayan Williams of Ohio State. And then with Nicholas Singleton and his counterpart there at Penn State, I think that those three running back groups that they are probably top three in America, and you've got them all right in one division. And so, you know, their offense is going to be how far can Drew Aller take us. Mm-hmm. Their offense line's really good. They've got a stable of running backs. They went and picked up some receiver talent from the portal. But how good is Drew Rollard? If he's as advertised, they've got a legit shot to beat anybody. Um, mm-hmm. They've got they've got Michigan coming to State College, so that helps them tremendously. They got to go to Ohio State, which is tough. Um, but if Drew Aller does what he is advertised to do, they're they've got a legit shot. Um, mm-hmm. defensive, defensively out there with Manny Diaz as coordinator, they're going to be tough. Um, and so I think that they, you know, it'll really come down to two groups, in my opinion. The secondary can't, because I think Penn State's front seven has historically been up there, mm-hmm. at least within yeah. the conference always. But how do you replace Joey Porter Jr.? That'll be the question. If your secondary is, you know, that playoff caliber, then I think that they will have a tremendous shot to win the East, in particular with having Michigan at home. Right. And so um, we saw last year that, you know, they – you know, they, they played Ohio State really, really tough. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, Ohio State pulled away late. But, you know, that was the game that they could have easily have won. I think, and we'll get to Ohio State here in a minute, but I think, you know, it's going to be a lot tougher to come into Columbus with Ohio State having that chip on their shoulder. And I'm not saying they didn't have that chip last year. Right. But with the with how that year ended last year and with all the talk that they've heard that, you know, they could potentially be the third best team in the Big Ten, um, primetime game, you know, that's going to be a tough draw for Penn State. 
Um, now they've always played Ohio State close, mm-hmm. um, but if we're being if we're being completely honest, you know, since that last win in I think it was 2016 by Penn State, um, you know, when have they, you know, beat them? And so, yes, they always give Ohio State a tough game, but to go in there, Columbus, and beat the Buckeyes, that's that's going to be a tall order. But again, if Drew Aller is as advertised, they they've got all the potential in the world to win the East. All right, so Michigan and Ohio State. This has Michigan at one and Ohio State at two, and literally the difference is Michigan is returning a quarterback and Ohio State isn't. Is I mean, the the margin of error between those. Like, the margin is so small. I I think you could flip-flop one, two all day long. Yeah, yeah this is really messing with my heart right now. I, uh, <laughs> I, I love the fact that the rivalry is back in the spotlight where it deserves. Mm-hmm. Um, because for a long, and I mean a long time, um, Ohio State has dominated this rivalry for the last two decades. Right. And I have, you know, being being a Buckeye, it's been really great to see that. I've, I have witnessed Michigan beat Ohio State three times my whole life. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'll be 27, uh, 27 years old this October. And so that's great. <laughs> but, um, the the fact that you know the team at North has come back and they have you know taken the rivalry over. I mean they've got it right on the reins. I mean it's it's def- the ball is definitely in Ohio State's court to answer mm-hmm. um, because they are not they are no longer the aggressor. Um, and so you know anybody who would say that they are. It's just, I mean, you hadn't watched the last two years. Yeah. And so, um, no, I do think that this past year's edition of the game, I have a personal or I have a different take than what majority of people um, would have. I do not truly believe that Ohio State got dominated. I know that that is what the final score indicates. Yeah. And it's definitely a loss that you take on the chin. But you're going up at halftime two touchdowns. Like, that game was completely different going at halftime. And, you know, Michigan gets stops here, and it was really the big plays. It's not that, you know, Michigan drove it down Ohio State's throat like they did a year before. Right. But it's the fact that they gave up the big plays. You give up, you know, three plays of 50 yards plus, you're you're not going to beat Michigan. Mm-hmm. And so they've definitely got the chokehold on the robbery right now. They've got this attitude that they're not worried about Ohio State anymore. They're worried about going to the next level. And so you're absolutely right. The The way that these two teams are separated, it's uh, it's very interesting because it's two completely different styles of football Mm -hmm. on one side you saw and you saw it last year in the playoff that 
Ohio State, when they play their A game, is up there with anybody in America. I think that they proved that with Georgia. Mm -hmm. Um, And you also saw with, you know, Michigan, it kind of seemed like, yes, they beat Ohio State, but it it, it seemed like the the moment was kind of too big Mm -hmm. for them again. They had to get in a shootout with TCU, and that's not how they play football. No. Um, And so do I think that you have to give, you know, Michigan the edge, you know, going into this year? I mean, yeah, they're back-to-back champs. I mean, you cannot deny that. Um, But I would caution people to think that Ohio State is not right there. The talent that is on that roster, Mm -hmm. you know, regardless of who the quarterback is, if you look at the quarterback play since Ryan Day has taken over, he improved JT Bear. Dwayne Haskins was in New York his one year as a starter, broke all these Big Ten records. Then you get the two years of Justin Fields. He's in New York twice, two playoff appearances, a win over Clemson. Um, and then you get two years of C.J. Stroud. And, you know, from a quarterback play standpoint, it was great. I know that he – you're going to look back and say, well, he's 0-2 against Michigan. He lost, you know, uh, against Oregon at home. And all those things are very valid. We're not comparing him or we're not saying that he's one of the greatest Ohio State quarterbacks ever. That's mm-hmm. not the question. The question is, what kind of quarterback was he? And he was in the Heisman, you know, running for two years. Right. And arguably, pay, I mean, what he did to that Georgia defense, I think Kirby Smart still, you know, wakes up and thinks, you know, how did we give up that many points? And so, yeah. but, you know, the that is the, that's the type of quarterback play you're going to get. Now, I'm not saying that, whoever starts at quarterback is going to be as good as CJ Stroud. I think that that would be a bold take, but whoever does start quarterback, you've got to believe that Ryan day is going to have them ready. Mm-hmm. And it's not going to be a situation where they are going to be lacking. Right. So who do you, so, who do you think is going to start at quarterback for Ohio state? I was, I'm in the camp that I think it's going to be Kyle McCord. Mm-hmm. I think that the extra year being there, a lot of people will say that it, it won't matter. Um, but I, I, I think it does a little bit. And I think both guys are really gritty mm-hmm. guys. Like, I think that, you know, you you can't go wrong with either. But I think that Kyle has been patient. He yeah. has his turn. And I think that as long as he's willing to be the aggressor, I think that he's got the better arm right now. Mm-hmm. I'd say that Devin Brown's probably a better athlete, but let's not let's not sleep on Kyle McCord's toughness and you know willingness to go get yards where they're there. Right. And that was that was you know CJ's biggest thing is he he never was willing to until the Georgia game you know take off and run when it was needed. Mm-hmm. And so, but I think both Devin Brown and Kyle McCord would be willing to do that. And so I think that there's going to be 
better there's gonna be a better mentality. There's gonna be a grittier, a tougher mentality with either quarterback. But I'm of the personal opinion that it will be Kyle McCord. I think that he is going I think it'll be close, but I think that Kyle McCord is going to really take over the job once once camp gets going. I I definitely think that the Ohio State receiving core will cover a multitude of sins. That is such amen, a good amen to that. Amen to that. Such a good uh receiving core. All right. So we kind of overviewed the conference. Now just quickly, what are what are the best players you think in the conference? What are some players that we need to be watching for? I mean, you have your you have your main guys, right? So you you might the Big Ten might be the home to the best player, regardless of position, with Marvin Harrison Jr. And mm-hmm. that goes without saying. He's right. you know he's and then you obviously have got your guys at Michigan with Blake Corum and Donovan Edwards. Those guys are going to be great um, as well. We mentioned him earlier, but I think that Braylon Allen is the one to watch simply because, you know, you talk about Michigan, you talk about Ohio State, you talk about Penn State. Those three teams have two guys that are really toting the rock. Right. And Braylon Allen is the, you know, kind of the main guy out there, Wisconsin. So he's definitely a guy to watch. I think, you know, we also mentioned him earlier. Um, Cade McNamara, you know, what does he look like at Iowa with him getting that, you know, starting role again? Like, does he improve? Does he, you know, elevate Iowa? You know, a lot of people forget, like, he led, you know, Michigan to a playoff berth just two years ago. Yeah. And he beat Ohio State, like, you know, and there's there's something to be said for that. I think that you know, Jeff Sims out there at um, Nebraska, I think, and this is kind of a, a bold take, um, but you might say by years in that he he could be considered the best quarterback in the Big Ten if, if their season goes the way that they think that it will go. Mm-hmm. If you, if I mean, and if you look at the take, yes, it might be a little bit bold, but you know, JJ McCarthy, although really good, mm-hmm. kind of the main reason why they lost the playoff game a year ago. Does he take that? Nick, can he not turn over the ball? Mm-hmm. Can he? Can he? Can he keep control of the ball? You obviously got a new guy at Ohio State. You expect him to be good. Right. But you don't know who it's going to be. Drew Aller, you know he's going to be get the guy at Penn State. But, you, I mean, he's just not played a full season as the guy. Mm-hmm. So, again, you don't really know. Obviously, Talia being probably the top quarterback in the conference as, you know, we get started. But what Jeff Sims is going to be able to do, he's by far, I don't want to say by far, that would be very disrespectful to Tanner Mordecai. But he's <laughs> he's definitely 
you know, a top two quarterback in the West. And I think with his running ability and his ability to throw the ball and being in a new offense with Matt Rule at the helm, I think that that is a guy to watch out for. I think that the most interesting or maybe not the most interesting, but uh, the Ohio State secondary is going to be one to see how how do they perform. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that the front seven is going to be really good. You re- you return JTT and you return Jack Sawyer, you return uh, Tyleek Williams and Michael Hall in the middle. And when those guys were in last year, they made plays all over the field. Right. You return both your linebackers and Steel Chambers and Tommy Eichenberg. You got five-star C.J. Hicks kind of playing that third linebacker role. And so your front seven, you know, you're looking at it and you're like, you know, this is really good. Right. Will the additions in the secondary come through? You got Denzel Burke on one side who is going to be really good. Can Jordan Hancock fill that second role. Does uh, David Igmanusa fill that slot role well? Does Sonny Styles step in as a sophomore and, you know, go, hey, like, you know, we're going to do this thing. And so I think that is the one group in the Big Ten over any, really any other group that will determine how this conference goes. Mm-hmm. Because if Ohio State secondary is what we – think it can be, at least for those of us in Buckeye Nation, then you might be looking at, you know, the best defense in the Big Ten, and they've got definitely by far the best offensive skill set, and so that really takes it up a notch for the Buckeyes, and so uh, the running backs are obviously groups you want to watch. The Ohio State defense is probably the biggest group that you want to watch, and they guys like, I mean, the quarterbacks in the Big Ten, I think are very underrated nationally. I think they've got a chance to have a really good group. So those are just some guys to keep in mind. And then Penn State's left tackle. If you're a guy that likes, you know, watching um, trench warfare, he's a guy that's going to be great. Michigan's offensive line is going to be great. So I, I think the depth of talent in the Big Ten this year, you know, you've got, you know, six or seven teams that, may not have any big, big names once you get deeper, you know, into the conference. Mm-hmm. But the talent, um, just on a general scale, you know, obviously it's going to be second best to the, to the SEC, and we get that, we understand that. But some really sneaky, talented players in the Big Ten this year, in my opinion. Yeah. I, I'm what, – probably what I'm most interested in is Tanner Mordecai. I just don't know oh, why. Yeah. Like, that just intrigues me. Well, you know, Luke Fickle coming from Cincinnati, a group right. of five, and the success that he was able to have, and then going and getting Tanner Mordecai, like, that's that's a steal. Like, that guy is so different from what Wisconsin is used, is used to having. Mm-hmm. And, then, and then, in my personal opinion – the biggest hire of the offseason has to be Phil Longo out there yeah. at Wisconsin for Luke Fickle. To take Phil Longo away from Drake May in North Carolina and bring him to Wisconsin 
and change the flavor of that offense because Wisconsin's going to be good on defense. Right. Like they have historically, that's Luke Fickle's bread and butter, and they've got the guys there to be successful on defense. It's always been the offense that, you know, hasn't, you know, that's been in Wisconsin's Achilles heel, you know, right. their receivers and their quarterback. And for the first time, you know, maybe since, you know, for being honest, maybe Russell Wilson, and that was, you know, almost a decade ago. Almost so this is probably their best. This is probably their best quarterback in a decade. Mm-hmm. And so you, you, you pair him up with a, a guy like Phil Longo, and you know I'll I'll say it. You know I've 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 told the guys that I, I talk ball with, and I've I've told the coaches um, that I've had a chance to talk to. Like Ohio State goes to Wisconsin after playing Penn State, and and so they're they're going to have their shot on the big stage to really kind of you know, show some people. And if I think the key game to circle for them will be Nebraska, because I think that um, that's the other game that they need to, you know, kind of circle. And then obviously Illinois and Iowa. Um, But um, they're going to have a real opportunity. If that offense improves at all, like, you know, they're they're a threat. Mm -hmm. It's just – the Big Ten will be a very interesting conference for sure. Speaking of interesting, uh, they will USC and UCLA will be added to the Big Ten pretty soon. That is going to be wild. So how do you how do you think that's going to change the landscape of the Big Ten? I, I I will be completely honest. I am a traditionalist. I am a regional guy. Mm-hmm. I love when college football is regional. Mm-hmm. And I love the different territories. I love, you know, the Midwest having their team. And, right. and the out West having their teams. And the Southeast having their teams. And the Northeast having their teams. And the Coastal. Like, I'm all for that. But the sad reality is we are going to a new era of college football where it is going to be how big can you get the Big Ten and the SEC. Mm-hmm. And so you're really driving towards a, a two-mega conference deal going forward. And so for two and you know, so for the Big Ten to add USC and UCLA, I think that it was very, very important that they end up in the Big Ten. And with OU and Texas going to the SEC, mm-hmm. that was truly the logical um, next step right. um, for conference realignment. Now, I'm of the opinion that Notre Dame should absolutely join the Big Ten. I don't think that there's any reason why they're not yet. Yeah. Um, I personally don't think it'll happen because I just think that they're stubborn, but that's a different conversation for a different day. But I think that in the immediate, I think that it does change the landscape a little bit Mm -hmm. because you add UCLA and you add USC, 
and the Big Ten next year is going away from divisions. Right. And so it's truly going to be the two best teams. And, you know, I think Chip Kelly's doing great things out there at UCLA. I think that they're finally finding their rhythm, and I think that they are going to be a great addition to the Big Ten. And then, obviously, you add a blue blood in USC. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if, you know, we have seen historically – it, when USC is good, it's good for college football. Right. And when, you know, they've got, you know, Lincoln Riley out there, they've got the returning Heisman winner out there, and I know that he won't actually play in the Big Ten, um, but, you know, with USC kind of taking an upward twin, uh, trend and um, in that aspect, I think that those are absolutely huge for the Big Ten. Mm-hmm. And so I think that, you know, it kind of makes it a little weird, you know, when you get a Rutgers versus USC game at coast you know, coast. 1130 in the morning. And so I think that those things are, you know, going to be weird for the first little bit. Right. Um, but I think that it, it was a must. Mm-hmm. And so I think that to add the prestige of USC is a big deal for Big Ten. And I think, you know, and this is no disrespect to UCLA, um, but, you know, to get the two California teams that, I mean, that that is that was always going to be in the fold. Yeah. One thing I'm going to be interested in to see how USC does on defense in the Big Ten in a conference that's known for its defense and – Lincoln Riley is not known for his defense. Yeah, absolutely not. And and that's that's going to be the thing. I will be interested to see um, because also with the Big Ten, you know, and talking about, you know, regional stuff, like they're going to be all over America now. They're, mm-hmm. They've got a new contract with CBS, NBC, and Fox. So, like, you know, wow. and you've got, You've got markets all the way up, you know, as far as uh, out there in New Jersey with Rutgers, all the way through Ohio, all the way through Michigan and Nebraska. And now you've got all the way down to California. And so your availability to reach audiences across America it's only going to bring in more cash. Yeah. And so with and with these with these schools getting all this money in the new world of what we call NIL and transfer portal, with USC coming to the Big Ten, do they change their attitude on defense? Like do mm-hmm. they really try to put an emphasis on, you know, getting better guys on defense because they're they're gonna need it. Um, right. When they come to the Big Ten, they've got you know three you know three to four defenses or three to four teams that are going to be on par, if not better than them defensively. Mm-hmm. And so you know, I think that they come in and they're definitely going to be you know one of the better teams in the Big Ten. We'd be lying to the world if we said that they weren't. Right. But if they can't stop anybody, you know, Ohio State's offense, you know, has been, you know, since Ryan Day got there, you know, I know Lincoln Riley, what he's done in Oklahoma, 
Um, but Ryan Day's, you know, right there. Um, right. And so, you know, if they can't, you know, stop that, you know, then there's going there's going to be an issue. And, you know, just the defenses like we talked about, like Wisconsin, really good historically defensively. Iowa, really good historically def- defensively. Penn State, Michigan, Ohio State, like teams that are known for defense. And mm-hmm. USC, you know, back in the day, you know, really had a good defense. But right. now that they've got, uh, you know, Lincoln Riley, it's kind of been – you know, a different tune, um, and not to get ahead, but I think that this is a make it or break it year for Alex Grinch and the yeah. USC defense. If they are poor again, um, if you're Lincoln Riley, you need to look to, you know, make a change there. Mm-hmm. So if this was UCA, USC and UCLA's first season in the Big Ten, where would you think they would fit in as far as the standings are concerned? I don't. I don't think that you. I think that USC, in my in my opinion, the highest that they could be would be three. In my mm-hmm. opinion, I think that both Michigan and Ohio State are better oh, than yeah. USC. Oh yeah. Now, if you were to convince me that they've got the best offensive mind in the league and they've got the best quarterback in the league that you could sell me on them being number two if the defense improved. But I personally do not see that. Mm-hmm. And I think that if, I think if Drew Aller is what we think Drew Aller can be, I just, a Penn State's got a better defense. Michigan's got a better defense. And I personally believe that Ohio State has a better defense. Yeah. And so, and I think all those offenses. Although I think, I think Lincoln Riley is the best offensive coach of that right. group. I think that those three teams have just as good of an offense, talent-wise, this year as USC does, despite two of those teams not knowing or having an unproven quarterback. Mm-hmm. And so, I I think that USC would challenge, obviously. Right. Um, my personal opinion, I don't think that they, I don't think they're a top two team mm-hmm. if they come to the big team. I think that they would be that third or fourth team. Yeah. Um, and I think, I think UCLA would, I think that they would be as advertised. I think that they would fit in with that Iowa, Wisconsin, kind of like that second tier. Cause your first tier is going to be, Ohio State, USC, Michigan, Penn State. Mm-hmm. That's your that's your top. Yeah. And then that next group, you've got Iowa, Wisconsin, maybe Nebraska. Historically, you would say yes. Yeah. Um, and then I think UCLA fits right in there. I don't think that they're down like Rutgers or Purdue or Northwestern, uh, and until recently, Illinois. In Maryland, I think that they are above those teams, in particular mm-hmm. with Chip Kelly there out there at UCLA. And so um, I think that they would fit right in the middle where I believe that they will be anyway. Mm-hmm. So it would really depend on does USC have a defense? If they have a defense, then they're obviously in that um, 
you know, conversation. And it would depend, in all likelihood, you would have to put UCLA in the East, and you would have to put um, USC in the West, mm. just for numbers' sake. And if you wanted to, you, I mean, you could put both of them in the West. <laughs> um, yeah. But, you know, because... There's no way on earth that you put USC in the East and run the risk of them truly being that, you know, third or fourth best team. If you put them in the West, they probably win the West. So if we're thinking about it this year and Mm -hmm. you put USC in the West, they would probably win the West. But I do not believe that they would beat Whoever comes out of these, yeah, they would lose in Indianapolis. Yes, I. That's that's how I think personally. Mm-hmm. It would. Yeah, I get that. Yeah, I I I agree. They're they've got to shore up on defense to be to be the top in the Big Ten for sure. Now um, there has been some very interesting and. Uh, some very negative things coming out of the Big Ten this offseason with all of these hazing allegations. And actually, Northwestern's coach, Pat Fitzgerald, was fired. So just, I guess, just kind of talk a little bit about hazing. You know, should there be hazing in football? Was Northwestern right to fire Pat Fitzgerald? And what do you think about the story coming out of Minnesota? That's a lot, but. Well, uh, we'll start with Minnesota because I think that um, P.J. Fleck and, like I said earlier, you're either a P.J. Fleck guy or you're not. Mm-hmm. And I think that just strictly based off, like, as a football coach i like pj fleck mm-hmm. um i think that he i'll be honest i think he's you know kind of a a weirdo <laughs> um uh-huh. and i think that some of his i think that some of his you know statements are very used carsman you know statements right but he he can coach football is he a high level football coach no but He's definitely, you know, a respectable football coach. And so he was very upfront at Big Ten Media Days about the issues. He answered every question. And Minnesota kind of knew that this was coming. Mm -hmm. And so when you have players leave the program that – feel like maybe they didn't get the right shot or maybe, you know, they had it in for this one coach or whatever. You got to be, you got to take what they say with a grain of salt. Right. Um, And I think that the truth kind of lies somewhere in the middle at um, Minnesota. Um, but I don't think it's anything that PJ Fleck and the program were not ready to answer and to handle. Mm-hmm. And so, 
Um, that is my opinion. I think that if he were to have been, you know, back offish or maybe kind of run from the questions, then maybe I would think that maybe that there's some more deeper stuff there. But it sounds like from a Minnesota standpoint that um, they they knew this was coming. Mm-hmm. They attacked the issue head on, and they were they were very upfront. So kind of is what it is with yeah. Minnesota, in my personal opinion. Now with Northwestern, that is a completely different um, angle. Um, I think that it was good for them to save face and not come to Big Ten media days mm-hmm. because even in their statement, it would it would have stole the whole show. Yeah. And I don't think that Northwestern was ready for that right then. Mm-hmm. Um, and for them as a football team, as as a program, they did not need that. So I think that they definitely set a saved face with not going to Big Ten Media Day. Um, where I'm coming from, being being a coach and no, not being a college coach, but being around, you know, 16, 17, 18 year old kids. Right. Um, you know, it's when you lose a locker room, things can, things can happen. Yeah. Um, and it sounds like to me that quite simply, and I'll be honest, I did not expect this because I think that, Pat Fitzgerald is a really, really good football coach. Mm-hmm. He had he's he's never really had the best of talent because Northwestern they're just they're not a football school. They've never been a football school. Have they had moments of success? Yes, but their facilities are arguably one some of the worst in the country. They have to rec- recruit a certain type of player because of their institutional, you know, grades, and you know you got to have a certain, you know, and so they're already behind the eight ball anyway. Right. Um, but if Pat Fitz, I mean Pat Fitzgerald, had to know that this stuff was going on, and the fact that it sounds like he didn't. You can't you can't make a case for him not or to not have gotten fired. Yeah. Um, they they wanted to keep him, so that's why they gave him you know the two week suspension without pay. But with the allegations that were coming out, um, there's no way that they were going to be able to keep him. Um, and I think that it shows a lack of leadership on his part. Mm-hmm. Because it's not the head coach's job to know every single second of every single day what his players are doing. That's almost impossible to do by himself. Right. But if something like this is going on, you have to know. Like, you absolutely have to know. And the fact that he didn't is an issue. Um, and from the whole hazing standpoint, it is not acceptable Mm -hmm. to hear 
watched some of the things that were coming out of Northwestern, especially with, you know, as much inappropriate things that have come out. Um, that stuff's not acceptable. Right. In any locker room ever. Um, now, are there, you know, things that go on in locker rooms that are better left behind closed doors? Yes. There are things about your favorite team, no matter where you stand, especially in particular in college football in today's culture, that you truly don't want to know what goes behind you know, closed doors. You right. would probably think of your team a little differently if you knew everything. Mm-hmm. Um, but the t- the kind of hazing that happened at Northwestern, there's just no, there's just no place for that. You know, picking on some young guys, you know, because they're new on the block, you know, whatnot. That just naturally happens. Yeah. At places. And so that's just a part of being a college football player. That's a part of being of a locker room full of, full of young adults. And so that stuff's going to happen. Mm-hmm. And so you, you understand that. But when you are getting to a point to where, and I don't want to go into any details of what I know actually happened, but when you got to the point that where Northwestern was at, um, it's all over the place. Yeah. Um, and so definitely not a good look. I mean, Northwestern already did not have a great reputation. Mm-hmm. And this only drives it, you know, down below. And when you've got guys like Greg Newsome, um, formerly Northwestern Wildcat, now current Cleveland Browns, saying that, you know, Pat Fitzgerald, you know, was great. He didn't have anything to do with this. You know, when I see guys with that kind of credibility, you know, stick behind Coach Fitzgerald, that kind of makes me, you know, think twice about it. But at the end of the day, this all falls on the head coach. And he did not do a good job. Whether he knew about these things or not, they went on mm-hmm. and the evidence is out there. And so, but let's just say that it's not truly as bad as some of the reports have been. Let's say that some of it is overblown because you get guys that aren't, they're on the team, but they're not, they're not playmakers. They're not guys that maybe are going to see the field if these are the particular guys that are getting picked on the most you know they might do anything to try to blow whatever it is up yeah and so i think that it might not be as bad as the reports are saying just because of how much support that uh pat fitzgerald has gotten Mm -hmm. but there definitely was an issue there Mm. And therefore, he cannot keep his job. But I'll be honest; it's it's a loss on both sides because yeah. Pat Fitzgerald was Northwestern, like that's his alma mater. He's been there forever. 
never had any plans of going anywhere else, regardless of you know how good of a coach he was. And now, if you're Northwestern, you'll never have him again. Mm-hmm. And now, if you're Pat Fitzgerald, you're definitely not coaching this year no. anywhere. But what is your next move? You're probably not going to be a head coach anytime soon. Mm-hmm. Does he look to take on, you know, does he go to Nick Saban's coach's rehab facility <laughs> and go be an analyst out there? Or does he go to a program like an Ohio State or maybe a Texas or somewhere like that and try mm-hmm. to, you know, you know, find a different scene? Um, and you just don't know that. Maybe he takes a job on TV, like, but it's a loss loss for for both sides and yeah. it, it it really kinda gives the bad or the big ten a bad bad rep. Yeah. And so, you know, it's it, it's just a loss all around and the worst part of it is is the players that are still there. Mm-hmm. Um they have to fight through this. Mm-hmm. Knowing that the coaches that are coaching them this year are probably not coaching them next year. They're going to clean house, and, you know, their program has been rubbed through the mud, and now they have to go play a season where they know that they're not, you know, going to be one of the better teams in the conference. They've got this thing hanging over their head. They're not well-supported anyway, mm-hmm. like, it could get re- it, it could get real bad in Evanston this year, and I just, I hate it for the kids that didn't do anything wrong. Yeah. Um, obviously, those players that were doing the hazing, you know that that discipline needs to be handled internally, and I assume that those things have happened and will happen. But I just hate it for the guys that you know didn't have anything to do with it because it's. It's going to be a long season in Evanston. Um, yeah. It was going to be a long season anyway. <laughs> and but now it's worse. now with all this, like, it's just going to be even even worse. Yeah, that's pretty bad. It breaks my heart for them, but, you know, what, we, you, you got to do what you got to do. So, Absolutely. another coaching suspension to talk about. Jim Harbaugh suspended for four games for recruiting violation. I know that is going to, we didn't talk about it in the conference preview, but that could maybe throw a wrench into Michigan trying to win the conference. I, okay. Couple of points here. Um, For those that are listening, if you haven't figured out yet, um, I'm definitely biased towards the Buckeyes. Um, anybody that knows me would, you know, knows this. But it is laughable what what the four game suspension that Jim Harbaugh got. Okay, you just had an investigation go down at the University of Tennessee where they were handing thousands of dollars, thousands of dollars to recruits that didn't even go to the University of Tennessee. Mm-hmm. The NCAA knew about it and no suspension for guys like Darnell Washington. No, I mean, if you're um, 
uh, Jeremy Pruitt, you get out scot free. Yeah. Like you were cheating and still couldn't win. Like Jim Harbaugh went and bought, you know, a cheeseburger for somebody. Now, there are some other things at Michigan that, you know, the cover up for Mozzie Smith last year where he had a gun charge but mm-hmm. yet was not uh suspended until um after they played Ohio State, you know. So that's a little, yeah. you know, you've got assistant coaches being fired for, you know, improper stuff. Like, so there's other issues at Michigan that are worth, you know, laughing at them at. But from a recruiting evaluation standpoint of buying a kid a cheeseburger, and that and him getting suspended for four games is absolutely ludicrous by the NCAA. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm of the opinion that they play absolutely nobody worth a soul in those four games to begin with. Yeah. And so I think they are a player led team. And so I don't think that it will personally matter that Jim Harbaugh is not there for four games. Mm-hmm. Now what is very interesting is his return week in week five, they go to Nebraska. And so that could be something that, you know, if Nebraska has turned the corner and both those teams are undefeated, that could, you know, that could potentially be, you know, something there. That's and so, very but, interesting. um, Jim Harbaugh's the, 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 the cheeseburger thing is not why he got the four game suspension. Mm-hmm. The reason why he got the four game suspension is because he lied. Yeah. Cheeseburgers are not that big of a deal. If all he had to do was be honest, mm-hmm. he wasn't honest, and therefore, you know, there's four games. You know, it is what it is. I don't think that it it change any, it changes anything for Michigan. Um, but uh, no, our uh, coaches on notice just tell the truth, even if you committed. A violation, like, yeah. I mean, just just tell the truth, yeah. Like, and it's it's in, in a world where back in twenty eleven, Jim Trussell lied that he didn't have any information on his players selling their own Big Ten championship rings and jerseys for tattoos, selling their own stuff. They weren't receiving anything without giving up prize possession. Mm -hmm. And those kids were suspended for six games. The next year, you know, Jim Trussell gets fired, you know, and then now ultimately, you know, that leads to Urban Meyer. And I don't think that any Ohio State fan would want to go that, or would take away that decade that we had with Urban Meyer because it resulted in a national championship and an undefeated season. And so we wouldn't change that. But to think that how much times have changed, like they wanted to give Jim Trussell the death penalty for protecting his in his mind, mm-hmm. protecting his place yeah. for selling off 
their stuff to get tattoos. But, you know, what's going on? I mean, Jim Harbaugh lies, and, oh, it's, you know, it's four games. Like, there are certain programs, and, you know, this could be, you know, a topic for a later date, but just take it as a blanket statement. There are some programs in the NCAA that if they can make bigger stories out of it, mm-hmm. they will. Yeah. Ohio State, sadly, is just one of those programs. Michigan, not one of those programs. Georgia, not one of those programs. So, like, if it's a, if if they can make it a big deal for some schools, they will. Yeah. Michigan just doesn't fall on that list. Mm-hmm. So he Jim Harbaugh lies, and he gets four games. And it, I mean, if you really wanted to punish him, have have somebody else pick the four games. He doesn't, he, you know, coach in because coaching. I mean, coaching those, you know, those first four games. I mean, you could have almost anybody go out there and be head coach, and Michigan's going to be four and zero. I mean, after four weeks, I mean. There's just, I mean, it's it's absolutely. You might as well just not have suspended him at all. Mm-hmm. Like, it's honestly kind of a. It's, I mean, like if I'm Jim Harbaugh, like I'm laughing. Like you know, four games. Like, so that's that is my opinion on it. I just I think there there are plenty of other things that you could have suspended him for, but. For lying about a cheeseburger, just not, just not it for me. So, it the whole the whole thing it seems ridiculous, but you know it is what it is. All right, so two more, yep. two more questions that kind of go together, and then we'll do a couple of rapid fire. So. Uh, how many Big Ten teams do you think are going to make the playoffs this year? And who do you think is going to be winning in Indianapolis? I think this year, it, it, and it really comes down to – it's kind of hard from a playoff perspective. It, there's really a bunch of other factors, right? Mm-hmm. So you you kind of need it to work out like it did last year. Yeah. You need one SEC team. Mm-hmm. You need both Florida State and Clemson to not be good again, mm-hmm. which, you know, and we might talk about later those two teams, and I think that those teams will take the next step. Um, you can't have teams like Texas in there. USC's. I mean, there's so many things that got to happen again to get two Big Ten teams in. Mm-hmm. But if the second Big Ten team only has one loss, it's going to be tough to keep them out. Yeah. And so, yeah, I would say no more than two because I don't think any conference uh, in a 14 playoff format. Now we go to 12 next year. And probably the top four teams in the Big Ten get in, oh, yeah. or maybe the top, at, least. at least the top three. Yeah. And so, um, 
but I, if you if you held a gun to my head, I would probably just say one, and it's not because that I don't think that that second team would be good enough, but I think I think Clemson will be really good this year. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, and you know, we're gonna pump the brakes, but I think this is the year that Texas is back. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that. If it is U.S., I mean, if USC, Oregon, Utah, or, I mean, we've talked about how, you know, competitive the Big Ten's going to be. And I'm not saying that the Pac, Pac-12 is overall great, but if you truly look at the teams that can win that conference, USC, Washington, Oregon, Oregon State, Utah, yeah. like, those are five teams that last year all had, you know, nine, ten wins. And so, like, you know, the winner of that conference is potentially going to have to say if they've got, you know, an undefeated season or mm-hmm. maybe a one loss. But I just think that there's other teams around America that I just, I think that they're going to be upgraded. Mm-hmm. So I don't think that the, two, that the Big Ten will get more than one team in. But I think that if there is a conference that is most likely to get two teams in, I do think it is the Big Ten again. Yeah. Um, you know, as far as who is going to win in Indianapolis, let me let me take my Buckeye, you know, blinders off. <laughs> if we're being honest. It's, it, it runs through Ann Arbor. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's they they return everybody on their offensive line. They return both running backs. They return the quarterback. They've got above-average skill players outside. What they have done on defense, in particular in conference, um, has been really good. Mm-hmm. They made... They have made Ohio State look good when Ohio State offensively looked great against Georgia. Georgia yeah. couldn't stop Ohio State um, for a majority part of the game. That's a different conversation for a different day. But it runs through Ann Arbor. Mm-hmm. And so I think that they deserve to be the favorite. Um. I can't get past not picking Ohio State because you've got the best player in college football, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. The key for Ohio State is going to be the defense. A lot of people are worried about the quarterback, and I'm just not. I'm just not worried about quarterback. There's been no evidence in the Ryan Day era since he got to Ohio State in 2017, and he has been on offense. The quarterback play has been top three in America every year. Mm-hmm. Like, Justin Fields, you know, was, you know, two to Joe Burrow and was maybe better than Trevor Lawrence his last year. Um, C.J. Stroud, you know, in that, you know, top conversation – like Dwayne Haskins, the one year he did start, you know, and so like 
I'm not worried about quarterback. I am more concerned about the tackle spots at Ohio State. I think losing Paris Johnson um, and Dewan Jones is going to be – that's a spot they're going to have to figure out. Yeah. Um, and if that spot doesn't get figured out, um, there's going to be an issue there. And so, you know, if if I take my Buckeye blinders off, I would say that it runs through Michigan. And they, right now, are the top dog. Mm-hmm. Ohio State has to prove that they can beat them. I think the best team on paper is Ohio State. I don't think that you can deny that. Right. With the blue chip ratio, with what the talent that they have, if they play their best game, they will win in Indianapolis. Mm -hmm. If they do not, I believe it will be the Wolverines. Mm -hmm. I think that you can make a case for Penn State, but I think that even if Drew Aller is as advertised, I just think that Michigan where it matters is better. Mm-hmm. And I think that Ohio State is just a better football team mm-hmm. than them. And so I would say Ohio State wins the Big Ten, but Michigan is right there. And it would not surprise me if they, you know, make it a three-peat. You know, Ohio State has to go to Michigan, which, you know, is going to be a tough ask. Right. But you really never – I mean, that game – is so different from any other. It could truly be, you know, you know, whoever, whoever plays the best that day. Mm-hmm. And so, um, my personal pick is Ohio State. Take that for take that for what it's worth. But I do think that everybody's chasing or chasing Michigan. I think that that that's where it runs through. I I can definitely say okay. So a couple of rapid fire questions. All right, so Penn State may not be number one this year, but do you think they have a shot at being number one next year with this young core that they have? Yes. <laughs> Ohio State's defense, is it going to be all that we're expecting? Are they going to be able to live up to their potential? I think that they finally do. I think with – Moving Jack Sawyer, who led the team in sacks last year, back to a true um, defensive end, putting his hand in the dirt, I think that you, last year Ohio State had this rotation of defensive linemen where they rotated a bunch. And although that is, you know, good to a point, there were times last year where their best players were on the sideline when it really mattered most. Mm-hmm. And so I think that I think that Ryan Day has kind of talked, you know, to us in the preseason about how those guys have to have snaps right. this year. They have to be on the field. And so I think that if that happens, I think that David Iguanosa is I mean, he was an all freshman American or all American freshman in the SEC last year. He comes in, I think that he's gonna take leaps and bounds. I think that Sonny Styles, being that five-star prospect that he was coming out of high school, I think he's going to start in that starting role. You've got um, Lathan Ransom back, and I think that they do take the leap. 
Mm-hmm. I just think there's just too much talent there. Right. Like, at some point, like, they have to play. And I think that this year they're going to be forced to because there's there's good depth on that defensive line, but the depth is unproven. Mm-hmm. Your starting four are proven. They've been the best players up there for the last two years. You return two, two of the better linebackers in the country. Um, and so I, with the front seven being, you know, arguably a top five front seven in college football, I think that they take the next step. Now, does that mean that they win it all this year? That is TBD. Right. But just from a Big Ten perspective, I think that they will be the either the best or the second best defense in the conference. So I, I do think that they they take that next step forward. I mean it's all I mean, it's like it can't get worse, right? Like <laughs> they gave up big play after big play after big play and it's been the same thing for you know, three to four years now, ever since, you know, 2019. And so, like, I think that this is the year that they they turn it around. I I truly do. Which of the new coaches in the Big Ten West is going to improve his team the most? I think I think Matt Rule and Luke Fickle are really good hires. Historically, Matt or Coach Rule has been a true developer over time. Even when he got to Baylor, um, his most recent stop before um, going to the NFL, um, his first year at Baylor, they were two and ten, mm-hmm. and so they ended up, you know, being a really good program when he left there. And I think that Matt Rule is a really, really good coach. But I think that Luke Fickle instantly elevates Wisconsin because of the hires that he's made, mm-hmm. because of the him being a true Big Ten guy, knowing what it takes to win in this conference. Um, I think that Luke Fickle changes the game for Wisconsin. Does he change the game for them to be like, playoff contender no i don't believe that right but within the conference he wisconsin is better right now than what they were this time last year mm-hmm. and one last question let's say maryland is going to upset one of the big three which of the big three will it be i think I think the the answer that you'll get probably the most is probably Penn, Penn State. Mm-hmm. But similar to what happened last year, Maryland plays Michigan this year right before um, Michigan, cut, Michigan has Ohio State coming to the big house. Mm-hmm. And I think that of the three, I think that I think you need to circle that one. Um, because let's say Michigan is undefeated going into that game, and we expect them to be. Maryland at that point probably has two or three losses. Mm-hmm. And so they're not going to Indianapolis. But 
if they can beat the Wolverines at home, I think that that's kind of a trap game. If Michigan is looking forward to Ohio State and they slip on Maryland, just like we did last year. And, I mean, there were times against Maryland where, you know, we we were sweating bullets in Buckeye Nation. We, did, we didn't know, you know, if we were going to pull that one out or not. Right. Um, but so of the three, realistically, I would say Penn State, but I would circle that Michigan game right before the Wolverines take on Ohio State. I don't. I just don't think that with uh, with Maryland kind of being not at the end of the year, they're kind of in the middle. They got to come to Columbus. I just don't think it's it's all that likely they beat the Buckeyes. I don't think it's likely that they beat any of them. Mm-hmm. But I think that if I had to rank them, I think that they're most likely to beat Penn State and then Michigan and then Ohio State just because they have to go to Columbus and. They're not going to catch Ohio State off guard. Right. Yeah. And so, um, and with the talent um, or discrepancy, I just, I don't, I don't see that. Yep. Man, that, this has been a really good episode previewing the Big Ten Conference. Appreciate you coming on with us, Tyler. And we'll definitely have you on more as the, Maybe another, maybe some more preview episodes, um, and then also during the season. Appreciate it. I appreciate it. It was fun. Yeah. And uh, if anyone wants to get in touch with us, they can email us at goat versus goat at gmail.com. That's G O A T V S G O T E at gmail.com. Hope everyone has a great day. <laughs>